Whew, what a week. What a week. Sam had oral surgery. I feel like preparing for this message, I've had heart surgery. Preparing to teach God's word, you have to let the word read you, I believe. I believe it has to go down deep personally. And uh, this has been a good one for me. So I believe God has something prepared for you. Let me pray that, that all of our hearts will be ready for God's truth and, and God's word. So God, thanks for being such a good father. Uh, you know what we need even when we don't. God, we trust you. We put our, our faith in you. We know that you don't break promises. We know that you will always come through. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? In my life and in yours. We're talking about the temple. We're talking about dwell is our series in God's temple in the old and in the new. Here's something really cool. The gospel. What's the gospel? Good news of who? Jesus Christ. It's the good news. The gospel is like why Jesus came, right? To, to like share it, to spread it, to, to go and, you know, make disciples. The gospel, when you think of the Bible, it is concealed, right? It is concealed in the Old Testament. The gospel is there. You've got to look for it. I bought a Bible that was like a gospel translation Bible, and I bought it because I wanted to see where the gospel is in the Old Testament. And it had a bunch of study notes. The, oh, the gospel, Jesus Christ, is, is, is hidden. It's, it's concealed in the Old Testament. It's revealed in the New. Jesus revealed what the gospel was about. And what's fun to see is what we thought was gospel in the Old. Jesus would go, oh, no, no, no. It's not what we meant. You took it a little too far, people. This is what I meant, right? The meek shall inherit the earth. If you want to be first, you must be last. You must be the least. And you're like, what? That's not what we thought. And so it's really cool. So today we're going we're gonna to take a look at Solomon's prayer. It was a prayer of blessing over the temple and over Israel. And then we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus made for us, for his people in John 17, and the similarities pretty cool. Let's, let's dive into the word. First Kings chapter 8. We'll have some of the verses up, up here for you to, to go along. Let me read. Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey all the commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave our ancestors. So let's stop there. So basically, he's, he's saying, let's, let's praise the Lord. He's given us rest. He's talking about Israel. Okay? This was for, like, the temple was for God's chosen people, his nation, Israel. There's other nations, but Solomon's talking specifically about Israel right now. And he's saying, hey, remember, he keeps his promises. Remember the wonderful promises he gave through Moses? He's going to keep them. And may the Lord be with us, just like he was with those before us. 
So what he's saying is, what he did for them, he can do for us. Let's go to the next passage. And it says, you continue reading, and may these words that I have prayed in the presence of the Lord be before him constantly day and night, so that the Lord our God may give justice to me and to his people, Israel, according to each day's needs. Now look at the tone of this prayer. It changes. It says, then people all over the earth will know that the Lord alone is God and there is no other. And may you be completely faithful to the Lord our God. May you always obey his decrees and commands just as you are doing today. He now is stating, hey, Yahweh is not just for Israel. It's for people all over the world to come. So he, he had this vision of this temple that he rebuilt, that, that people would hear about Yahweh, and they would want to come and experience him in this temple. And his prayer was, was powerful. So we're going to talk a little bit about his prayer, and then we're going to jump to what Jesus prayed and how he prayed such a similar prayer. Um, John Goldingay, he's, he's a, a commentator, a, a kind of a theologian commentary. He, he points to the significance of Solomon's prayer. He says, Solomon's prayer involves some pretty bold requests. So it's kind of a dramatic nature, if you think about it. His posture is appropriate to God. His first requests include two that relate to the experience of having been defeated by enemies. They understood what it was to be a nation in slavery enslaved and, 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 you know, so they understood this. And in a moment, it says he will come to another idea in his prayer, one that relates to Israel itself taking on enemies. Then he will come to the experience of being taken into captivity by your enemies. Not every battle is won. Sometimes we go through storms, as Mark shared. Sometimes things don't work out the way we expect them to. Yeah? Raise your hand if that's your life. That's, that's my life. I got two hands, right? So then John Goldingay says, it would therefore be easy for the prayer as a whole to have an exclusivist cast, meaning the prayer is just about Israel, to have no thought for anyone outside Israel. But the Old Testament can't be like that for more than a few pages at a time. It knows that Yahweh is God of the world, not just Israel. So Solomon's fourth request in his prayer, what we just read, the one that occupies the center of his prayer, starts from the assumption that foreigners will come to this house that Solomon has built. They have heard about Yahweh. It asks Yahweh to treat such individual foreigners just like Israelites, just like his family. Guys, we're the foreigners. so that the world as a whole may come to revere Yahweh in the same way that Israel does. His closing blessing expresses the broader longing that all nations may come to acknowledge and know Yahweh. So what do we learn from this prayer? People will learn about God from what they see in our lives. That's how it's going to continue, is that we're going to live in such a way that people are going to see God in our actions, in our reactions, more so, I think. I think there's a lot of good people that can respond, do good things, but it's when 
Rubber meets the road. It's when adversity happens. It's when the storm comes, we get to really see. Anybody who's ever coached a team, you never really fully know what you have until you are down 20 points in basketball. You're down four touchdowns in football. You're way behind in a race. Then you get to see what people are made of, what your team is all about. Same thing in life. When adversity hits, it's an opportunity. It's a moment to respond. Eric Raymond is, is also kind of a pastor. He, he writes this, no matter what you're going through, you have to know that you can keep going because God keeps his word. Do what God has told you to do. And as you're doing it, revisit what he has promised you. So sometimes what keeps you going is remembering God doesn't fail. He, he keeps his promises. The challenge is, how long do you want me to run on this treadmill, God? When am I going to see results? You know? I want to I reflect on Jesus' prayer in John 17. Very similar spirit in this prayer. The spirit of his prayer is for unity. It says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. It says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Later in, in that chapter 17. I want to say that again. Jesus is talking to his father in prayer. And he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Before the world began means Jesus was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Jesus was there during creation. Solomon's prayer was one that called Israel to remember what God had done in their lives. Jesus' prayer is one that calls all believers, all of us, to do the same thing. It's not always easy to keep that in perspective. As we go forward, we have to remember what was behind us. It says in, in that same chapter in 17, it says, I told them many things while I was with them in this world, God, so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word. And the world, the world hates them because they don't belong to the world. Just as I don't belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of it, God. Jesus talking to his father. Don't take them out of the world. But I'm asking one thing, to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Turn to someone and say, you don't belong. Don't belong. Say it, Brad. <laughs> now, we're not talking about this church, okay? Don't get the wrong idea. You don't belong in this world. It's not your home. Don't get too comfy, people. Jesus didn't belong here either. He goes on in, in this prayer. Jesus says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. 
Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. He's sending us. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And then here's the last portion of that. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me by their message. Let's just think about that again. Again, this is similar to Solomon. I am, I am not only praying for my, my disciples, my people, my, my tribe, my flock, but I am also praying for all who will ever believe. That's you and me. Jesus was praying for you. And I pray that they will all be one. Unity. One, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. That's the spirit of his prayer. So how do we keep unity? How do we find uh, the way, right, the yellow brick road and stay on the path? How do we keep from getting lost, off track? William Barclay he writes a lot of commentaries. I love his, his thought on a lot of scripture. And he says this, he says this about this, this text. The cause of Christian unity in the present time and indeed all through history has been injured and hindered because people love their own religious organizations. People love their own creeds, their own ritual more than they loved each other. You see, they love rules more than they love relationship. He goes on to say, if we really loved each other and really loved Christ, no church would exclude anyone who was Christ's disciple. Only love implanted in our hearts by God can tear down the barriers which we have built between one another and between churches. That means there's hope for the Baptists. Can I get an amen for that one? I think uh, there, is, there is something in our spirit that just, we just like things our way. We like to kind of stand and say, this is what we believe. This is what we're about. And, and, and if you're not with us, yeah, you're kind of against us. That's the way the world thinks, right? There's very little middle ground anymore. It's cancel culture. You know, we could be thinking and believing for the same things, but if, if it looks a little different, sounds a little different, then, oh, you must be, you're, you're against us. You're not with us. I think uh, Solomon and Jesus encourage us to obey God's commands. They encourage us to, may you remain faithful. May you keep all the decrees and the commands and the regulations. And it's like, well, that sounds a little legalistic. That doesn't sound like my Jesus. But there's some, something important about understanding obedience. When, with God. I was talking to a, a rabbi, friend of mine, Patrick, this week. He's a messianic rabbi, right? So he, he, under, he, he studied the Jewish law, he studied scripture, but he came into an encounter with Jesus when he was 17 and, and, and gave his life over to Christ as his Lord and Savior. And his family sees him as an outlaw. Those who taught him basically kicked him out of their religion, of their church, of their synagogues. 
and he had to weigh relationship versus his faith in, in Jesus, and he chose Christ, and he now, you know, lives here in Estacada, and he's just a scholar. I love talking to him about scripture. He opens up these ideas to me, and this, the Old Testament, you know, what's concealed in the Old Testament, he just lays it open. He said this to me about this passage when Jesus prayed. He goes, you know, if you don't find all the beautiful things God has done in your life, if you're looking for God and you just can't find it, he goes, it's because you're not looking the right way or you're not looking in the right places. We have the wrong glasses on, is what he said. We need to learn to look at our lives God's way. When tragedy or bad things happen, where do you look? Who do you look to? Then he said, God can use the worst events and actions of others to bring about his will. God can use the worst to shape us in ways that we'll not understand at the time. That in the moment, in the storm, it's difficult to see where God is, how he's working. And he's like, we got to look at God and find him in the beautiful and in the burden, in, in the challenge. God, where are you? That's when it's good to remember. Now, it says in 1 Kings, I want to repeat this, the very last verse, verse 61, and may you be, can you put that up, the second slide of 1 Kings? <sighs> may you always obey his decrees and commands, just as you were doing today. May you be completely faithful to the Lord our God. Truth is, we're not always obedient, are we, to God? I'm not. I can't obey all the time. I can't be always faithful to God's commands. Even in our sin, God keeps his word. Isn't that encouraging? God's love and forgiveness doesn't depend on us being perfect. God gives us instruction how to redeem our mistakes, you see, here's how it kind of works. God creates the world and brings order. And then we screw up order and we sin. We didn't keep, we didn't stay faithful. So what does he do? He, well, if you fast forward, he sends Jesus to show us how to repent, how to make things right, how to live. And we put him on a cross and kill him. Screwed it up again as a humanity, right? Jesus returns from the grave, gives us this picture of, like, he defeats death. Like, he, he changes everything. That Easter morning, that first Easter morning, the grave is empty. Whew, gets me a little excited. Okay, I'm not going to skip the Easter. Stay here. Okay, and then he gives us the spirit. He gives us God's spirit to continue the work that he started to redeem, to rescue, to save the lost, right? The first time the Spirit came into the disciples, thousands were added to their number because it was their opportunity to speak their language and tell them about the gospel, tell them about Jesus this way. And people responded. Now here's the deal. The devil knows our story. He knows our whole story from the beginning to today. He knows we can't 
be completely faithful all the time. He knows this because he was with Adam and Eve in the beginning. We don't always obey, do we? I don't. So here's what he does. Satan throws everything he has at us when we fail. When we sin, we see this in the very first record of sin in the garden. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They experience shame. They experience this, this, this nakedness. They want to hide from each other. They want to hide from God. What do you see God do? Does he change? No, he, he shows up. He wants to walk with them like they've been doing since the beginning. And what does he do? Adam, Eve, where are you guys? He's calling out their names. You see, broken rules and, and broken laws have consequences. God created ways to make things right, to, to get forgiveness for sins, okay? But we, in our own brokenness, can sometimes really add to it, where God's like, why are you so hard on yourself, right? We learn by what God has done for us how to repent. That's the word, repent. And we teach our kids, don't we? We teach our kids to say, I'm sorry, when they screw up. What do you say? Say, I'm sorry. No, say it to them. You know, usually it's with siblings. We had four growing up. It's like, what do you say? Say, I'm sorry. You know, and sometimes it'd be like, I'm sorry for punching you in the face, but it's because you touched my Oreo cookie. If you don't touch my Oreo, you won't get, this won't happen again. You're like, no, no, that's not, that's not really being, you know, you know, you're not repenting there. You're kind of like, this is why I had to punch you. Say, I'm sorry, and then say what? Please forgive me. Then you realize you have to teach the other child to say, I forgive you. Otherwise, they keep a record, and they don't let it go, you know? You're like, wow, it's like, this is crazy, raising kids. It's like, whew, we have to learn how to repent. It's a heart thing. It's about shaping our kids' hearts. And God's shaping our hearts in the same way. Here's what repent means. It means to turn around. But there's more to it. You've heard that before. To repent means to do a 180 and go the other direction. So I asked Patrick, my rabbi friend, what's repent mean to you? Oh, man. He goes, well, the word is teshuva. Teshuva. And the word means to return as to return to God, is what he said. Return to God. Meaning maybe we've walked away, and repenting means it's like, hey, we're, I'm back. And God didn't go anywhere. Our hearts must connect with our behavior. God refused Cain and Abel. Cain's offering was refused. He brought an offering to God, and so did Abel. But what was the difference? He refused Saul's offering later on in the Old Testament. Why? His heart wasn't right. They repented. Cain repented. Saul repented. But guess what? They repented, yet their hearts were not changed. They said, I'm sorry, because they wanted the cookie. They didn't want to change their behavior. They just wanted to stay in God's blessing. 
Here's Jesus. He said, if you bring an offering and your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make an effort to reconcile. Notice it didn't say if you have something against your brother. If you're the, the one offended. It's like if you bring an offering to God and your brother has something against you, don't offer that up yet. Go and make an effort to make it right. Do your part. Change your heart is what he's saying. God cares about your heart. Then he said, Jesus, then return to the altar and bring your offering with a, with a good heart before God. See, God cares about your heart. Here's the thing. Do you say I'm sorry only when you're caught? Our kids do. Are you willing to, to be taught by God and, and come, come clean before you're even caught? The cover-up's always worse than the crime. Yeah? Whew. Mark, what you said about when we're in the storm, sometimes we just got to look up. You see, when I asked Rabbi Patrick about repentance, I didn't share everything he said. But I'm going to tell you the last part. He said, teshuva means return to God. It means to turn around and look up. That's what he said. When you said that, I went like, oh, God, you are so cool. Like, I can't wait to lay this out. Like, oh, yeah. You know, when, when God puts something on your heart, you got to say it. You see, Mark was obedient. God put something on his heart. And he was supposed to say it. And a lot of times, some of us are like, oh, I don't know. What are they going to think? Maybe it'll sound stupid. I don't know. He was obedient. He didn't care. God gives you the words to say in the moment. He needs you to say them. Thank you. Repentance means don't just turn, because turning around is a behavior. But looking up changes our heart. Looking up is, is dealing with our soul, our motive, who we are, not what we do. Repentance is looking up in the middle of the storm. If you want to change your heart, you must look to God. You must stand up, seek forgiveness, not because you were caught, but because you want true relationship with God. You want true forgiveness. And you want to change your behavior. Change your heart, you'll change your behavior. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. Agree? Sometimes life just kind of makes you scratch your head and ask, why, God? Sometimes you even wonder. Sometimes I do. I wonder, God, are you, am I really making a difference here? I'm showing up. I'm doing these things. But I don't see what I want to see. Tell you what, when you're feeling that way, it's usually because you have expectations on your actions. And you're putting them on God. And God has a whole different kind of economy when it comes to his kingdom, you know? Sometimes you don't see. Sometimes it's a seed that's planted. Sometimes somebody else waters. But God causes growth. God causes the blossoms to bloom. Not us, you know? But sometimes you kind of feel like, is this really? You know, when Sam asked me to teach last week, I was like, really? And immediately, God's like, yeah, yes, you, you're going to do this. And I was like, you got, okay, my, 
you know? And then I responded back to him, oh, yeah. And he's like, man, even Sam, Sam's such a blessed brother. He's like, I, I don't want to burden you, bro. Are you, you cool? And I'm thinking, just 30 seconds ago, I was thinking, oh, man. And then God just went, And he's like, hey, eyes on me. I was looking at my week. I was looking at my schedule. I was looking at just, oh, how am I going to figure this out and fit in time to study? God's like, you get to do this, boy. You don't have to. And so I was able to respond to Sam. Dude, I get to serve you. I get to serve people. I'm happy to help. Like, bring it. Change my attitude. But my first response wasn't a good one. But you didn't get to see that one. You're just like, oh, Jason's great. You're like, no, not exactly. But I did listen to God. And that makes a difference for me. Sometimes life doesn't make sense. Sometimes you ask God, are you there? Are you going to do something? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you got a, a child who's just not serving the Lord. Maybe you got a friend who's really causing trouble in your relationship. Maybe you got a spouse that you just want to see uh, come to Jesus. Follow him. Let me tell you a story. There was a young girl. Her name's Emily. Uh, Vangela and I, we were youth pastors at Abundant Life for about six years. And uh, we were on a mission trip. And we were preparing for this Mexico mission trip. And Emily was one of the students. And Emily was like on the, on the fence she hadn't committed. She didn't put in her, you know, first payment. And, and just, she wasn't, she didn't attend the first training. And yet, I know she wanted to go. So it's like, Emily, you going? And she's like, I, I don't know. Okay. So she finally signs up. She's like, I don't know. She was probably a sophomore, junior in high school. And so she signs up. She's got friends going. She's excited. But she didn't really want to go. She had other things uh, to do. It was during spring break week, which is really what's coming up here. So I don't know. It was about eight, ten years ago. She didn't want to go. And when, when I asked her, what's up? What's, why, why are you dragging your feet? What's going down? And she goes, ah, I don't really feel close to God right now. That's the truth. I just don't, I just don't feel it. And uh, she was struggling. She was struggling to learn the Spanish language. We were learning these, like, Spanish worship songs, kids' songs, Jesus Loves Me. She was struggling, <laughs> so, so everybody else was too, but she just wasn't enjoying it. She didn't play soccer. One of the ministries was a park ministry where we would play games with kids. And she's like, I, I have, she really did have two left feet. I mean, she would trip over her own self, and she just wasn't good at soccer, you know? And so that wasn't going to be an, a way to bond with the kids either. But she came. I'm just like, just, just trust God and just come on, come along. And the whole week we were there, we were doing VBS in the, in the park and we were building homes for families, these little small homes that these families would just hug us and just give us this like embrace. And I'm thinking that's like this, the size of my bathroom at home <laughs> and they're living in it. It's just crazy to think how some of the world lives and we get to come and you know bless them it just always made me feel like, oh, I'm not worthy. Like, they're just so happy. Their children play with a rock and a stick, and they're happier than my teenagers because they're without their iPhone for five days. And moaning about it, you know, like, oh, these kids can teach us 
how to just see life and be happy with what you have. So Emily's there. We go to Ensenada, Mexico. We start building. We start doing VBS outreach. And she's kind of struggling the whole week. She looks me in the eyes with tears. I remember this. And she's like, I don't have anything to offer these kids except candy and Kool-Aid. Like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything here. It's like, hey, just stay with it, Emily. Who knows? And, and just experience this. Sometimes you respond or you see God afterwards, you know, to reflect, or you just, just stick with it. Keep loving on these kids. You know what she wanted? Looking back, I could tell she wanted a connection. She wanted to be able to play soccer with the kids. She wanted to be able to speak their language and communicate with those kids, but she couldn't, and she just deeply wanted connection, something that would make a difference in a kid, in a kid's life. But she couldn't feel it. She didn't feel it. The last day on the trip, what we do is we, all these families that we just built a house for, we invite them to this local church that we kind of were working through. We invite every, all the kids from the park to come, and we, we have a service, and we share the gospel, and have a little party afterwards. So there's like, in a room half the size of this, there's like 50, 60 kids, students, you know, from Happy Valley and, and, and maybe a dozen leaders and then 50 kids and all these families. It's packed. Standing room, it's stuffy, it's smelly, it's awesome. And we're singing our Spanish songs, you know, and everything's going on and, and it's, it's just a beautiful time. They're so happy and it's just fun to be at the end of the week. At the back of that packed little community church, while most of us were singing, um, Emily was standing. She just didn't feel a part of it. She was standing in the back. And as, as we're singing and doing our thing, this woman, I didn't see this happening. I only heard about it later. But this woman runs up to Emily, frantic, panic on her face, hands her her little baby that she had been holding. And Emily's like, looks at the baby and the face is blue and the baby's not breathing. You see, we had given out candy to the kids when they came in. And this young mother, first child she ever had, she gave a little Tootsie Roll to her baby to suck on. And that Tootsie Roll is just the size of a baby's esophagus. And baby sucked it in and couldn't breathe and the mom was freaking out and she runs to Emily she gives her the baby and Emily's like doesn't know what to do she looks around and then she remembers she took babysitting training class and they taught you how to turn the baby over tilt the baby down and pat the back so she's doing what she remembers what she was supposed to do and sure enough the Tootsie Roll Pops out, she rolls the baby over, <gasps> baby breathes again, mom's got tears in her eyes, Emily's got tears in her eyes, the baby's crying, and, and everyone's <sighs> happy, right? She saved this little baby's life. Now, Emily realized right then and there why she was supposed to go. It really deeply impacted her. I got a picture. I, I spoke at um, Abundant Life a couple for youth, and I was going to tell the story. And so I reached out to Emily. Actually, I reached out to Kendra, who's on the left. She was like an intern for them. And I'm like, I'm going to tell the story of Emily and the baby. Remember that? And she goes, yeah, yeah. And so I didn't realize it, but she invited Emily to come the night I was going to tell that story. 
And so there she is. So I made her run to the children's room area and get a little baby so I could have a little prop when I told the story. But that's us just a couple years ago talking about it. Guess what Emily went on to study? Nurse. She became a nurse, and uh, she works with babies and the NICU. I think that's super cool. It, it impacted her life. It changed her life. And yet she didn't think in the moment God was going to use her. Even when life doesn't make sense, God has a plan. Yeah? God has a plan. So here's how we apply um, John 17. I'm going to close with this. Jesus kind of calls us to get to work. He calls us to continue. He gave us this example. He asked the Father to glorify him because he was completing the work God had given him to do. Jesus was praying with confidence. His his prayers were confident prayers because the work was being done. God was pleased. So how do we bring glory to God? We complete the work that God has given us to do. What are those things? What is God's work for us? Well, the first one would be to show mercy. Go ahead and put the slide. Show mercy, justice, and humility before God. And to pass on the gospel and make disciples to the ends of the earth, Matthew 28. Care for those who are needy. Do good and share with others. And as we practice obedience in these areas, God will give us strength. God will strengthen you as you live out and be obedient. The purpose of Jesus' prayer should be our purpose in praying. He asked for unity. He desired to see a deep connection between those who were connected to him. He asked us to love one another. And in Jesus' words, that our love would let the world know that we are his followers. That's what April 1st is all about. That's what having an Easter, you know, uh, working here to prepare for a beautiful Easter celebration, egg, an egg hunt on the following weekend for families in the community, a breakfast after that, and an invitation to come and worship Jesus with us. In a cancel culture world where unity means to broaden labels or enlarge the structure, Jesus commands us to be united with him, to be united. The unity that Christ offers, the unity that Christ offers brings peace within and unity between believers. I'll close with these words from Christ. I have said this to you, this is John 17, the last verse. I have said this to you so that you in me may have peace. In the world you will face persecution, but take heart, but take courage. I have conquered the world. We know how the story ends, friends. So let's go and let's go be obedient. Let's be faithful and let's trust God. Even when life doesn't make sense in your relationships and and even maybe in, in your faith, just trust God has a plan. God has a plan. Amen. Let me pray. Father, you're you're the one who lays the dots that we are trying to connect. Lord, give us faith when we can't see the picture yet. 
God, give us just a spirit of obedience to just do what you've called us to do and trust that you will fill in the blanks. Lord, help us if there's some of us that need to repent today or just need to, to feel, a, uh, you don't want to feel disconnect. You want to feel like that connection. And maybe it's it's the sin in your life that you just haven't brought to God. Maybe you feel ashamed and you're, you've been hiding like Adam and Eve. I just pray, God, that, that today we can just step into the light and say, here I am, God, forgive me. I want to repent, and I want to look up. In the middle of this storm, I want to look to you, Jesus. I want to fix my eyes on you. I want to make that connection. So God, thank you for your grace. Give us the strength. Give us the strength to to find the joy, like Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is, is where we find our strength. Help us to let the world know that we are your followers by the way we love each other and by the way we bring your heart to the world to save, to redeem. So give us confidence, God. Help us to help our prayers to have confidence because we know that we're doing the work you've called us to do. Help us to be faithful to that. Amen? Amen.